Chapter Four of The Mystery Girl by Carolyn Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Four A Broken Teacup. I'll tell her you're here, but I'm no way sure she'll see you. Mrs. Adams stood, her hand on the doorknob, as she looked doubtfully at Emily Bates and her nephew. Why not? asked Mrs. Bates in astonishment, and Pinky echoed, "'Why not, Mrs. Adams?' "'She's queer,' Mrs. Adams came back into the room, closed the door, and spoke softly. "'That's what she is, Mrs. Bates, queer. I can't make her out. She's been here more'n a week now, and I do say she gets queerer every day. Won't make friends with anybody.' won't speak at all at the table, never comes and sits with us of an afternoon or evening, just keeps to herself. Now, that ain't natural for a young girl. How old is she? Nobody knows. She looks like nineteen or twenty, but she has the ways of a woman of forty, as far as having her own ways concerned. Then again, She'll pet the cat or smile up at Mr. Adams like a child. I can't make her out at all. The boarders are all fearfully curious. That's one reason I take her part. They're a snoopy lot, and I make them let her alone. You like her, then? You can't help liking her, yet she is exasperating. You ask her a question, and she stares at you and walks off. Not really rude, but just as if you weren't there. Well, I'll tell her you're here, anyway. It was only by his extraordinary powers of persuasion that Pinky Payne had won his aunt's consent to make this call, and being Sunday afternoon, the recognized at-home day in Corinth, they had gone to the Adams house unannounced and asked for Miss Austin. Upstairs, Mrs. Adams tapped at the girl's door. It was opened slowly, it would seem grudgingly, and Anita looked out inquiringly. "'Callers for you, Miss Austin,' the landlady said cheerily. "'For me? I know no one.' "'Oh, now you come on down. It's Mrs. Bates and her nephew, Pinky Payne. They're our best people.' What makes you think I want to see your best people? I don't say you do, but they want to see you. And, oh, pshaw, now, be a little sociable. It won't hurt you. Please say to Mrs. Bates that I have no desire to form new acquaintances, and I beg to be excused from appearing. But do you know who she is? She's the lady that's going to marry Dr. Waring, the new president. And Pinckney Payne, her cousin, is a mighty nice boy. Mrs. Adams thought she detected an expression of wavering on the girl's face, and she followed up her advantage. Yes, he's an awfully nice chap, and just about your age, I should judge. I'll go down, said Miss Austin briefly and Mrs. Adams indulged in a sly smile of satisfaction. "'It's Pinky that fetched her,' 
she thought to herself. Young folks are young folks the world over. Triumphantly, Mrs. Adams ushered Anita into the small parlor. Mrs. Bates, she said, and Mr. Payne, Miss Austin. Then she left them, for Esther Adams had strict notions of her duties as a boarding house landlady. Mrs. Bates, Anita said, going to her and taking her hand. Yes, Miss Austin, I am very glad to know you. But the words ceased suddenly as Emily Bates looked into the girl's eyes. Such a depth of sorrow was there, such unmistakable tragedy and a hint of fear. What could it all mean? Surely this was a strange girl. We have never met before, have we? Mrs. Bates said, almost involuntarily, for the girl's gaze was too intent to be given to a stranger. No, Anita said, recovering her poise steadily but slowly. Not that I remember. We have, burst forth the irrepressible Pinky. I say, Miss Austin, please realize that I'm here as well as my more celebrated aunt. Don't you remember the morning I met you on the bridge, and you were just about to throw yourself over the parapet? Oh, no, I wasn't and a delightful smile lighted the dark little face. The lips were very scarlet, but it was unmistakably nature's own red, and as they parted over even and pearly teeth, the smile transformed Miss Austin into a real beauty. It disappeared quickly, however, and Pinky Payne thenceforward made it his earnest endeavor to bring it back as often as possible. "'Of course you weren't,' agreed Mrs. Bates. "'Don't pay any attention to that foolish boy.' "'I'm a very nice boy, if I am foolish,' Pinky declared, but Miss Austin vaguely ignored him and kept her intent gaze fixed on Emily Bates. "'We thought perhaps you would go with us over to Dr. Waring's for tea,' Mrs. Bates said, after an interval of aimless chat." It would, I am sure, be a pleasant experience for you. Wouldn't you like it? Dr. Waring's? repeated Anita, her voice low and tense, as if the idea was of more importance than it seemed. Yes, I may take you, for the doctor is my fiancé. We are to be married next month. No, cried the girl, with such a sharp intonation that Mrs. Bates was startled. "'Sure they are,' put in Pinky, anxious to cover up any eccentricity on the part of this girl in whom he took an increasing interest. "'They're as blissful as two young turtle-doves. Come on, Miss Austin, let's go over there. It's a duck of a house to go to, and jolly good people there. The view from the study window is worth going miles to see.' You're an artist, yes? I sketch some, was the brief reply. All right, if you can find a prettier spot to catch on this terrestrial globe than the picture by the wearing study window, I'll buy it for you. Toddle up and get your hat. His gay good nature was infectious, 
and Anita smiled again as she went for her hat and coat. The walk was but a short one, and when they entered the Waring home, they found a cheery group having tea in the pleasant living room. Dr. Waring was not present, and Mrs. Peyton was pouring tea, while Helen and Robert Tyler served it. The capable Ito had always Sunday afternoon for his holiday, and while Nogi, the Japanese second man, was willing enough, his training was incomplete and his blunders frequent. He was a new servant, and though old Ito had hopes of educating him, Mrs. Peyton was doubtful about it. However, she thought, soon the responsibilities of the wearing menage would be hers no longer, and she resolved to get along with the inexperienced Nogi while she remained. Mrs. Peyton was very regretful at the coming change of affairs. She had looked upon John Waring as a confirmed bachelor, and had not expected he would ever marry. Now, she declared, he was marrying only because he thought it wiser for a college president to have a wife as a part of his domestic outfit. Helen disagreed with her mother about this. She said Dr. Waring had begun to take a personal interest in the attractive Mrs. Bates before he had any idea of becoming president of the university. But it didn't matter. The wedding was imminent, and Mrs. Peyton had received due notice that her services would be no longer needed. It was a blow to her, and it had made her depressed and disconsolate also a little resentful, even spiteful, toward Emily Bates. The housekeeper greeted Miss Austin with a cold smile, and then disregarded her utterly. Helen was frankly curious, and met the newcomer with full intention of finding out all about her, for Helen Peyton had heard of Miss Mystery from her friend and admirer Robert Tyler, who, however, did not report that the girl had snubbed him more than once. One or two other guests were present, and having been told of Mrs. Bates' arrival, Dr. Waring and his secretary came from the study and joined the others at tea. With a welcoming smile, John Waring greeted his fiancée, and then Mrs. Bates turned to the girl she had brought. "'Miss Austin,' she said, "'let me present Dr. Waring.' John, Miss Anita Austin. At that very moment, Helen Peyton offered Waring a cup of tea, and he was in the act of taking it from her hand when Mrs. Bates made the introduction. The cup and saucer fell to the floor with a crash, and those nearest saw the doctor's face blanch suddenly white and his hand clench on a nearby chair. But with a sudden, desperate effort, he pulled himself together and gave a little laugh as he directed Nogi to remove the wrecked teacup. "'Pick up the four corners and carry it off at once,' he ordered, pointing to the small rug on which the cup had fallen, and Nogi, a little clumsily, obeyed. "'Pardon the awkwardness, Miss Austin,' he said, turning to smile at the girl but even as he did so his voice trembled and he turned hastily away. "'What is it, John?' asked Emily Bates, going to his side. "'Are you ill?' 
No, no, dear, it's, it's all right. That foolish teacup upset my nerves. I'll go off by myself for a few moments. Somewhat abruptly he left the room and went back to his study. Listening intently, Mrs. Bates heard him lock the door on the inside. "'I'm sorry,' she said, turning to Anita, "'but I know you'll forgive Dr. Waring. He is under so much strain at present, and a foolish accident, like the broken teacup, is enough to give him a nervous shock.' "'I know,' said the girl sympathetically. "'He must be very busy and absorbed.' She spoke, as she often did, in a perfunctory way, as if not interested in what she was saying. Her glance wandered, and she bit her red lower lip, as if nervous herself. Yet she was exceedingly quiet and calm of demeanor, and her graceful attitudes betokened only a courteous, if disinterested, guest. Gordon Lockwood immediately followed his chief and tapped at the locked study door. "'All right, Lockwood,' Waring recognized the knock. "'I don't want you now. I'll reappear shortly. Go back to the tea-room.' Willingly, Lockwood went back, hoping to have a chance for conversation with Miss Mystery. She was chatting gaily with Helen Peyton, Pinky, and Mrs. Tyler. To Lockwood's surprise, Miss Austin was really gay and merry, and quite held her own in the chaff and repartee. Yet as Lockwood noted her more closely, his quick perception told him her gaiety was forced. The secretary's ability to read human nature was almost uncanny and he truly believed the girl was making merry only by reason of her firm determination to do so. Why, he wondered. Gordon Lockwood was a rare type of man. He was possessed of the most impassive face, the most immobile countenance imaginable. He never allowed himself to show the slightest excitement or even interest. This habit, acquired purposely at first, had grown upon him until it was second nature. He would not admit anything could move him, could stir his poise or disturb his equanimity. He heard the most gratifying or the most exasperating news with equal attention and equal lack of surprise or enthusiasm. Yet, though this may sound unattractive, so great was Lockwood's personality so responsive and receptive his real nature beneath his outer calm, that all who really knew him liked him and trusted him. Waring depended on him in every respect. He was more than a secretary to his employer. He was counselor and friend as well. And Waring appreciated this, and rated Lockwood high in his esteem and affection. Of course, with his insight, Gordon Lockwood could not be blind to the fact that both Mrs. Peyton and her daughter would be pleased if he could fall a victim to the charms of the fair Helen. Nor could he evade the conviction that Mrs. Peyton herself had entertained hopes of becoming mistress of the Waring home until the advent of Emily Bates had spoiled her chances. But these things were merely self-evident facts, 
and affected in no way the two men concerned. The Paytons were treated with pleasant regard for both, and that ended the matter so far as they were concerned. The subject had never been alluded to by Waring or Lockwood, but each understood, and when the doctor's marriage took place, that would automatically end the Paytons' incumbency. And now Gordon Lockwood smiled patronizingly at himself, as he was forced to admit an unreasonable, inexplicable interest in a slip of a girl with dark, eerie little face and a manner grave and gay to extremes. For Anita was positively laughing at some foolishness of Pinky Payne's. Still, Lockwood concluded, watching her narrowly yet unobserved, she was laughing immoderately. She was laughing for some reason other than merriment. It verged on hysterical, he decided, and wondered why. He joined the group of young people, and in his quiet but effective way he said, "'You've had enough foolery for the moment, Miss Austin. Come and talk to me.' And to the girl's amazement, he took her hand and led her to a davenport on the other side of the room. "'There,' he said, as he arranged a pillow or two. "'Is that right?' "'Yes,' she said, and lapsed into silence. She sat looking off into vacancy, and Lockwood studied her. Then he said softly, "'It's too bad, isn't it?' "'Yes,' Anita sighed, and then suddenly, "'What do you mean? What's too bad?' "'Whatever it is that troubles you.' The deep blue eyes met her own, but there was no sign of response or acquiescence on the girl's face. "'Good-bye,' she said, rising quickly. "'I must go.' "'Oh, no, don't go,' cried Pinky, overhearing. Why, you've only just come. Yes, I must go, said Miss Mystery decidedly. Good afternoon, Mrs. Bates, and thank you for bringing me. Good afternoon, Mrs. Peyton. Including all the others in a general bow of farewell, the strange girl went to the front door and paused for the attendant Nogi to open it. Door-tending, the assistant butler understood, and he punctiliously waited until Miss Austin had buttoned her gloves and had given an adjusting part to her veil after a fleeting glance in the hall mirror. Then he opened the door with an obsequious air and closed it behind her departing figure. But it was immediately flung open again by Pinky Payne, who ran through it and after the girl. "'Wait a minute, Miss Austin. How fast you walk. I'm going home with you.' "'Please not,' she said indifferently, scarcely glancing at him. "'Yep, got to. Getting near dusk, and you might be kidnapped. Needn't talk if you don't want to.' "'I never want to talk,' was the surprising and crisply spoken retort. "'Well, didn't I say you needn't? "'Don't get wrathy, don't he, don't he, "'now, as my old Scotch nurse used to say.' "'But Miss Mystery gave him no look, "'although she allowed him to fall into step beside her, 
and the two walked rapidly along. "'How'd you like the looks of the doctor?' Pinky asked, hoping to induce conversation. "'I scarcely saw him.' "'Oh, you saw him, though you had small chance to get to know him. Perfect old brick, but a little on edge of late. Approaching matrimony, I suppose. Did you notice his ruby stick pin?' "'Yes. It didn't seem to suit him at all.' "'No. He's a conservative dresser. But that pin, it's a famous gem, was given him by his own class. I mean his graduating class, but long after they graduated, and he had to promise to wear it once a week. So he usually gets into it on Sundays. It's a corking stone.' "'Yes,' said Miss Austin." On reaching the Adams house, the girl said a quick good-bye, and Pinky Payne found himself at liberty to go in and see the other members of the household, or to go home, for Miss Austin disappeared into the hall and up the staircase with the rapidity of a dissolving view. Young Payne turned away and strolled slowly back to the wearing home, wondering what it was about the disagreeable young woman that made him pay any attention to her at all. He found her the topic of discussion when he arrived. "'Of all rude people,' Mrs. Peyton declared, "'she was certainly the worst.' "'She was,' Helen agreed. "'I couldn't make her out at all, "'and I don't call her pretty either.' "'I do,' observed Emily Bates. "'I call her very pretty.' and possessed of great charm. "'Charm,' scoffed Helen. "'I can't see it.' "'She isn't rude,' Pinky defended the absent. "'I'm sure, Mrs. Peyton, she made her adieu most politely. Why should she have stayed longer? She didn't know any of us, and perhaps she doesn't like any of us.' "'That's it,' Gordon Lockwood stated. She doesn't like us, I'm sure of that. Well, why should she, if she doesn't want to? Why shouldn't she? countered Tyler. She's so terribly superior, I can't bear her. She acts as if she owned the earth, yet nobody knows who she is or anything about her. Are we entitled to? asked Lockwood. Why should we inquire into her identity or history further than she chooses to enlighten us? "'Where is Miss Austin?' asked Dr. Waring, returning, quite composed and calm. "'She went home,' informed Mrs. Bates. "'Are you all right, John?' "'Oh, yes, dear. I wasn't ill or anything like that.' The awkward accident touched my nerves, and I wanted to run away and hide. He smiled whimsically, looking like a naughty schoolboy, and Emily Bates took his hand and drew him down to a seat beside her. "'What made you drop it, John?' she said, with a direct look into his eyes. He hesitated a moment, and his own glance wandered. Then he said, "'I don't know, Emily.' I suppose it was a sudden physical contraction of the muscles of my hand, and I couldn't control it. Mrs. Bates didn't look satisfied, 
but she did not pursue the subject. Then the discussion of Anita was resumed. "'How did you like her looks, Dr. Waring?' Helen Payton asked. "'I scarcely saw her,' was the quiet reply. "'Did you all admire her?' "'Some of us did,' Mrs. Bates answered. "'I do, for one. Did you ever see her before, John?' Dr. Waring stared at the question. "'Never,' he declared. "'How could I have done so?' "'I don't know, I'm sure,' Mrs. Bates laughed. "'I just had a sort of an impression—' "'No, dear, I never saw the girl before in my life,' Waring reasserted. "'And you need never want to see her again,' Robert Tyler informed him. She's sulky, silly, and supercilious. She's a mystery, they say, but I say she merely wants to be thought a mystery to make a little sensation. I can't abide that sort. Helen Peyton heard this with undisguised satisfaction, for she had quite enough girls in her life to be jealous and envious of, without adding another to the list. Also, she especially wanted to retain the admiration of Robert Tyler, and was glad to know it was not newly endangered. "'Miss Austin is very beautiful,' Gordon Lockwood declared, in his usual way of summing up a discussion and announcing his own opinion as final. "'Also, she is a mystery. I live in the same boarding house—' "'So do I,' put in Tyler." and she snubs us both. "'She hasn't snubbed me,' said Lockwood simply. "'Never mind, Oscar, she will,' returned Tyler, and then laughed immoderately at his own would-be wit. End of chapter 4